Yes, my friends and I debate constantly over where we rank not just great teams, but great players. And I did do a show earlier about how Dub Nation went down in the finals. And this current season that we're in, which has been like a lost season for the Warriors, it really started back in the finals with the injuries that they, they had in those finals. Kevin Durant goes down. Clay Thompson goes down. And you know, going into free agency, the likelihood of Durant returning, it wasn't very good. So entering this season, what you had was you had Steph Curry, you had Draymond, and a bunch of unproven young players. They did, however, trade for D'Lo, D'Angelo Russell. They traded Andre Iguodala, who was a long-time, do-everything guy for the Warriors, a big piece to that team that won six Western Conference championships, went to five NBA finals, won three titles. Iguodala was a finals MVP. They moved on from him trying to make moves for the future. I never thought D'Lo was going to be a fit. I just didn't feel it. He's a volume scorer, and he and Steph share the same position. But as things unfolded, Curry goes down and misses the entire season. So then you have D'Lo, Draymond, and a bunch of unproven players, and that equaled a lottery team. This lost season, it got me thinking. This season, this lottery version of the Warriors, it might be the best thing that happened to the Warriors going forward in terms of them winning more titles. This might be the medicine they needed. They're going to get back a healthy Steph, Clay. They've also added Andrew Wiggins because they moved off a of D'Lo. That didn't work. Wiggins came back in return. Wiggins has been somewhat of a disappointment, but he's still just 24 years old. He'll be 25 next season, incredibly athletic, still giving you 19 points a game for a career. With the Warriors in a different role, be it as the fourth option in the starting lineup or maybe coming off the bench, I think Andrew Wiggins can flourish, benefiting from playing off of the motion and the actions that Steph Curry and Klay Thompson make defenses do when they come off screens. This lost season, the Warriors are going to end up with a top five pick. They're also going to end up with another number one pick. So it made me start to think about their future. It made me ask a crazy question. Are the Warriors in the Steph Curry era, are they done in the Steph Curry era in terms of winning titles? And I don't think so. Depending on what they do this offseason, because they can go a number of ways. They could draft a young talent, develop them, a talent that can help them right away. Or maybe they draft those young assets, package them with another tradable piece, and bring in another established star. The sky's the limit, and if you know anything about the Warriors GM, Bob Myers, he's forward-thinking. He's always two or three steps ahead of most GMs. I also started to think about Steph Curry and Klay Thompson's place in history, as well as Draymond's. 
This is a three-headed monster that helped establish this culture, along with Steve Kerr and Bob Myers and company. And let's not sleep on the influence and the impact that coach Mark Jackson had before Steve Kerr stepped in. Because I think Mark Jackson actually got them on the right course. Steve Kerr was able to take them to another level. Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, arguably, is one of the three greatest backcourts in the NBA. Matter of fact, if not the greatest backcourt in the history of the NBA. For sure, they're the greatest shooting backcourt in the history of the NBA. Steph is a member of the 50-40-90 club, two-time MVP. And this is something that he will carry with him long after his playing days are over. He is the first unanimous MVP in NBA history. That's something Kareem, Magic, Bird, LeBron, Jordan never accomplished. And then you've got Klay Thompson. Steph is more celebrated even though Clay is considered the two-way player. At times, when you watch them play off each other, look, Steph puts up bigger scoring numbers, but Clay seems to be the one that goes off and has those crazy explosive games. Clay has the NBA record for 37 points in a quarter. He also has a record for 29, po- or excuse me, 60 points in 29 minutes. His shooting ability, when he's on, is on the same level as Curry's. The only difference is what makes Steph really special, it's not just that he can take you off the dribble and shoot from 45 feet. It's that he can shoot from 45 feet without breaking form. Steph's 40-foot jump shots look just like his 24-foot jump shots. His ability to extend a defense and make you actually have to come out to the hash mark for fear of him dropping a three on you, it's changed the game in many ways. I'm not saying he's the greatest player or anything like that. He is a great player. But he has changed the game along with Klay Thompson. And then you have Draymond. Not a great scorer. But he can score in the open floor. He's a great facilitator, rebounder, terrific one-on-one defender, and a great team defender. I think that's that's where I think Draymond really earns his money as a team defender because his ability to show and recover as well as dig down on bigs and get deflections. There's only two other players and that's Kawhi Leonard and at times Paul George that do it as well as Draymond Green. So when I think about what they could be going forward if they were to draft a player like James Wiseman with that kind of elite athleticism, with those incredible hands and that explosive leaping ability, that would be an interesting piece to add to what they have. But rather than focus on wise men and other young talent in the coming draft, I'm just going to focus on what they do have. So in addition to Clay, Steph, Draymond, they've added Andrew Wiggins. And Eric Michelle, who was a rookie this season, is going to be a big part of their future. I think the Warriors have a solid core four. And if they're all healthy and Bob Myers goes out and instead of drafting for the for his franchise, 
he drafts those assets and moves them on in a bigger package, I do believe the Warriors are going to contend for titles again. Think about, about this. The two top teams in the West, Lakers and Clippers, nobody would disagree with that. But they're also both older teams. And the Warriors are the one team without a post present that can still dominate you because of their elite shooting ability, the way they move the ball, the pace that they play. I think that Bob Myers is setting his franchise up for the future. I think when you look at Steph, knowing that Steph will be 32 next year, Draymond and Clay both 30. Andrew Wiggins is only 25 years old. Or correction, he will be 25 years old next season. So whether he's an asset as a teammate, he will be an asset for the Golden State Warriors going forward. And don't forget that Wiggins, Thompson, and Green, they're all signed through the 2023 season. Golden State is in a great position going forward. I think they're in a better position than the Lakers and the Clippers because of this past season, what it's allowed them to do. It, it, it reminds me of back in the day when David Robinson went down for the Spurs. I think it was the 96-97 season. They turn around, end up with that lottery pick, and that lottery pick ends up being Tim Duncan. I'm not saying there's a Duncan in this draft, although Wiseman is an incredible talent, incredible talent. But talent has to be developed and has to flourish, and it's never guaranteed. I do think this rewind for them, this remix, if you will, I think Golden State is going to make another title run. I'm not talking about them winning another three, but I think in the Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steve Kerr era, I think the Golden State Warriors are going to win at least one more title. One more thing about Steph Curry. There's no question as an individual talent, he's one of the greatest players in the history of the NBA. Six-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA team, two-time league MVP, three-time champ, 2015-2016 scoring champ, and steals leader. He also changed the culture of Dubs Nation. In a recent poll from ESPN, I believe, I think they ranked Steph 13th all time, which I found interesting. You can debate whether or not that was right or wrong. Myself, I wouldn't put Steph Curry ahead of Durant, who they had at 14. And while Isaiah Thomas, they had ranked 31st, maybe that's what threw me. Not that Steph was ranked ahead of Isaiah. I'm, I'm not sure I would rank him ahead of him. It was that he was ranked almost a full 18 places ahead of him. The fact that Isaiah Thomas was ranked 31st on that list shows me that there's a lot of guys up at the, 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 the whatever the headquarters is in ESPN, that their basketball knowledge is a little suspect. It's just a little suspect. Plain and simple. Steph Curry is a great player. But the same question that I posed last episode of the NBA Cypher with Kevin Durant, once he's finished playing, be a top 10 all-time player. Look, everybody can't be in the top 10. We know this. But if they've got Steph at 13, and let's say Steph plays another five or six years 
at a fairly high level. Let's say he averages 25, 26 points a game, makes another six all-star teams, a couple of more all-NBA teams, and maybe wins another championship. When his career is over, will the babyface assassin, will Chef Curry, will he join Kevin Durant inside the all-time top 10? I just got a text from a partner of mine, so I'm going to put this out there because this is a great question. We all know that Steph Curry is the face of the Warriors. He's that dude. Everybody loves Steph. But who's more clutch, Steph or Klay Thompson? I hate the term the bubble because it always sounds like we're talking about some kind of sci-fi movie. But it is what it is. If you're a fan of the NBA and you're wondering what the basketball will look like on the restart, if you've ever played basketball on a Sunday at around 9 or 10, and for some of you who are victims to the club life who show up at around 1 or 2, when the rest of us are about to bounce, you know what I'm talking about. It's physical, it's fast-paced, and there will be a ref. That'll be the difference. What I think is going to happen, though, with no fans, there is no home court advantage. It's straight up your squad versus my squad. And I think the referees, they'll try to call it down the middle, but it's going to be different for them too, because sometimes often, matter of fact, referees are influenced by the crowd reactions. So I think they're either going to call everything or they're going to allow a lot more physicality. I'm hoping for the latter. I don't want to see a lot of games where between the two teams, they shoot 55, 60 free throws. So I hope the refs give a little bit more leeway to a little bit more physicality. As far as teams that could make a real impact, I think the Grizzlies will hold on to that eighth spot. But if there's any team that I think that can catch them, it's got to be the Pelicans. They're three and a half games back before the season got suspended. Both of these teams are younger squads. They're almost identical. If you take away Drew Holiday and J.J. Redick, along with Eton Moore, off of the Pelicans, that's a college team. And if you take off Jay Crowder, Valanchunas, and Anthony Tolliver, the same applies to the Grizz. I think when these two meet, it's going to be a fast-paced game, and there are going to be a lot of highlight reels. I will say this, because John Morant could be so spectacular at times and Dylan Brooks has become a better player, I like what Jaron Jackson has become in his second year. The one thing about Jaron Jackson, if I had a complaint, is I love the 17 points. I love the shooting percentages. His ability to stretch the floor, almost shooting 40% from three, is is, is excellent. But if you're 6'11", almost 7 feet tall, you got to give me more than four rebounds a game. You have to be more of a force on the boards. I think that Dylan Brooks averaging 16 points a game, shooting almost 37% from the field. I didn't think Dylan Brooks would have that kind of impact in the NBA. He's a very good player. Jay Crowder gives them veteran leadership, toughness, great defender. Valanchunas gives them a legit low post presence, almost 15 and 11 a game. But maybe the edge might go to the Pelicans. Drew Holiday, 19.7 assists. Look, Drew Holiday is a great two-way player, one of my faves. And Brandon Ingram was an all-star this season. He's shooting 
almost 39% from three, 47% from the floor. Lonzo shoots 38% from three. Josh Hart shoots 34% from three. Reddick shoots 45% from three. If you went talent for talent, I think the Pelicans have more overall talent. But basketball's not played that way. It's five at a time. I'm going to give the edge to the Grizz to hold on, but it would not shock me if the Pelicans found a way to at least get into the playoffs, into that play-in situation, and then that will be a lot of drama for both of those fan bases. In the big picture, the two best teams in the NBA, most will tell you that it's the Lakers and the Bucks because they obviously have the best records in their conferences. I think the two best teams, despite the records, are the Lakers and the Clippers. I am a big fan of Zion, or not Zion. I am a big fan. I like Zion. Don't get me wrong, but I'm a big fan of Giannis. I just don't think the complimentary pieces around him come through when it matters most in the postseason. For him to be at at his most optimum level, his most effective, they have to shoot a high percentage. So you need a big playoff from Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez. Those guys have to step up. This league, this current era, the way the game is played, it's outside in, not inside out. And what a team like Boston, what a team like Toronto can do, they've got each have four guys that can take you off the bounce and get their own shot. That's something Milwaukee lacks. I don't want to disrespect my Sixer fans out there, especially a couple of my peoples out there in Philly. The Sixers are a talented team. They're not a deep team, though. And if you get anything less but dominance from Joel Embiid in the playoffs, they're going to go home early. Ben Simmons is a six foot eleven, athletic Jason Kidd. He's a left-handed, athletic Jason Kidd, a bigger, more athletic version of Jason Kidd. But I think he lacks Jason Kidd's mental toughness. Jason Kidd had that thing in him that would push himself to do things that he wasn't comfortable with to make himself a better overall player. Ben Simmons doesn't have to shoot the ball like Steph Curry or Ray Allen or, or anybody like that. But he has to at least make himself a threat from the perimeter. I think that if all he's going to do is slash and drive and be a force in the open floor, it's going to stagnate their offense. Remember, this is going to be more of a playoff setting. It's going to be more of a grind. If it becomes more of a grind, he becomes less effective because he's a, he, he's a zero-range player. Tobias Harris, he's probably the perfect number three. 19 points a game, seven rebounds, three assists. 47% from the field, 36% from three. Consistent, solid, productive. I think Al Horford has struggled the most to find his way in this rotation. And, and I thought that was going to be a problem. I told that to a couple of my friends, Pack, and a few others, that the idea of starting Embiid in Horford, that just wouldn't work because they would have spacing issues and they've had spacing issues. Because Al has played more on the outside where he was known as being a capable three-point shooter, he was shooting mostly threes, and that's not really the strength of his game. And Embiid was being less dominant, and he still was hoisting up 
almost four threes a game. The Sixers can make some noise. I just don't think they have the depth. And I don't know if Simmons is ready to take it to another level yet. With Embiid, it's about health and it's about it's about attitude. He can't talk a good, just talk a good game. He's got to come out, establish himself early, dominate. When he dominates, he collapses your defense, which leaves shooters wide open. So they need a big game. They need a big playoff from Embiid, and they need high production from guys like Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Alex Burks, and Shake Milton and others. I'm not sleeping on the Sixers. I just don't think they have the overall perimeter talent around Embiid to make a deep playoff run. That's just my opinion. Thanks for checking out this episode of the NBA Cypher. You can catch me on Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes, Google Podcast, along with Spotify. I'm going to leave you with this question. Will LeBron James retire as a Laker? It's the NBA Cypher. Next time.